So, um, there we are. I'm glad that's uh, working. So today we come to, um, um, I think it's the fourth uh, Sunday morning in our series of looking at at sort of family-related issues. We've looked at uh, how uh, to be the perfect wife that God would have us to be. We've looked at how to be the perfect husband that God would have us to be. We've seen what God's standard is, and uh, we've looked at uh, the words of Scripture, and then we've gone away and thought to ourselves, yep, there's things that I can do. Now, uh, this morning, the subject that we want to talk about is one which uh, some people uh, will struggle with more than others. It's also a subject which I'm very conscious has the potential of causing some people hurt this morning. I want you to know that this message is not uh, in any way written with anybody in mind or any group of people in mind. Perhaps there are some folks here this morning who are confused and are hurting when it comes to relationships, marriage relationships, and uh, sexual relationships. It's possible that there is a woman here today who decades ago underwent an abortion. And only now is the pressure and the concern as to what took place at that time coming uh, to, to mind. It could be that there are some folks here this morning um, who are involved in a sexual relationship outside of marriage and you know it's not right. You know it's something that you should not have been and you shouldn't be involved in. It could be that there is somebody here this morning who um, knows that their marriage is in trouble. They've been praying about it. Perhaps they haven't been praying about it. And your relationship is rocky at best. And so here this morning you're thinking to yourself, this is going to be tough. It may be that you're here this morning and you're here as a result Uh, perhaps of a divorce that has taken place, Uh, you're remarried, and maybe you're concerned about some things. But I want to say to each and every one of us that God still loves us. It could be that uh, you're here this morning and you're struggling with same-sex attraction. There are people that struggle in this area and it's not easy. You've been reading the Bible and you hear what other people say. You know what your parents are thinking. You know what other people in the church would think if they knew what was going in your mind or going through your mind. And you're struggling and you're saying to yourself, how do I deal with this? You're addicted to pornography. Your addiction is affecting your marriage. Your relationship with your wife can't be what it should be. Because in your mind's eye, it's not your wife that you're thinking about. But it's what you're watching. And it's what you're involved in. And however hard you try, you just can't kick it. You're as addicted as much as somebody is to alcohol or to drugs perhaps even more so. And it's affecting every aspect of your life. Even your work life is not going as it should be. 
And often the question which people ask is very simply this, is, is there any hope for me? We tend to get the idea that we're alone, that this is a problem that only we face. But it's not. But we still ask ourselves, is there any hope? And it's quite possible that as you're settling into your seat this morning for uh, the message, you're just trying to get it comfortable. I've had several people say, can we have the old chairs back because they were more comfortable than the ones that we have now? Well, if you really want to, you might find some stack somewhere and you can bring it in, put your name on the back. But as you're settling into your seat this morning, you're thinking in your mind's eye, there's no way I'm going to agree with what he has to say. Um, you've already made up your mind. And I'm conscious of that. And so what I want to try and do this morning, what I'm proposing is to simply bring a series of scriptures for a couple of reasons. One, you can't blame me. You've got to blame God if you're going to blame anybody. Secondly, you can argue with me, but you can't argue with God. And so by bringing his word this morning, I pray that it would be a way of trying to help us to understand. But what I want to say is that I propose to bring these scriptures for them to speak for themselves. And I've tried to ensure that the context of the various scriptures is maintained and that we understood the clarity and that the texts are not cherry-picked. Sometimes pastors keep scanning the Bible looking for the verse that they want just to try and clobber people. Well, on the subject this morning, it wasn't very difficult to find anything, any verses to bring this morning because I think virtually every single book in the scriptures warns us about the dangers of uh, sexual sin and what's involved. So I'm not cherry-picking just to support what might appear to be my view or opinion on things. There are some here this morning who feel this, that God's standard that has been set is out of reach. There's no way that we can ever live to the standard that God has set in his word. And so because it's so high, then we don't have to bother trying. And that seems to be the opt-out clause. You know, God, you've, you've set this standard. Nobody can reach it. Therefore, I don't have to try because nobody else can try. Nobody else can reach it. It's unobtainable. And so we don't even attempt to look. We, we, we skip over the scriptures. We don't take them in. We don't listen to what God has to say to us. Even though what God has to say in his word is he wants the very best for us in every aspect of our lives. There's not one of you here this morning. I'm not here this morning who cannot have the best life that God has planned for us simply by reading his word and following the teaching that is brought to us. So just before we embark on our quest to answer the question, what makes sexual sin such a big deal to God? We should understand that attitudes towards sex and what is acceptable and what is not acceptable have changed massively in our society during the course of the last 30 years, but particularly the last 15 to 20 years. And sadly, I have to say that it isn't just our society that has seen these changes. 
but I have to include the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in that statement. It's sad to have to do that. But we have seen standards within churches slip. We've seen that pastors no longer preach certain doctrines that are in Scripture. They don't preach the whole Scripture. And this morning, even though it's not always easy, we're looking at some of these Scriptures to help us to understand what God's standard is. The modern culture of the 21st century quite simply has redefined sexuality in every sense. It's been redefined to be no more than just a personal right to be exercised any way that an individual or a group of individuals wish to interpret it. In other words, what you think goes. What you want to do is fine. If you can get someone else to be involved in as well, perhaps. Sexual behavior is considered no more than just a personal choice, much like buying a new car or a new refrigerator. Which one am I going to go for? That's what has happened in society, but sadly, in churches, it seems, as well. And at the same time that this change of attitude, this change of thought has clicked in and has taken place, this massive, monumental shift that has happened in a very short period of time, because up until sort of the 1970s, 1980s, that's when the change began to take place, but people knew generally what a moral code was, what a moral standard was. You didn't have to tell children, they seemed to know. You didn't have to explain it to society. Society seemed to know. Yes, it failed, but it knew. And at the same time that this popular opinion has taken place, this understanding of sexuality, so too has the concept of sin has been removed. It's been removed from our vocabulary. The word sin no longer means very much to people, nor do they want to hear it, nor are they prepared to entertain it. And in fact, there is at least one government in the world which has asked for the word sin to be removed completely because it is no longer something. You cannot call someone a sinner. And if there's sin, well, that means they're sinners, doesn't it? How crazy these things are. The only sexual expression considered wrong is what is deemed disdainful to the definer. In other words, if you want to do it, anything, just do it. If you want to think it, just think it. If you want to watch it, just watch it. And much of this change of attitude has been driven by the mass use of the World Wide Web. We, we, we understand that. Because it only really began in the early noughties or the early 2000s when the World Wide Web became accessible to the whole world. And social media has seen an explosion of all types of sexual behavior, not just sexual behavior, but uh, particularly and of deviant sexual behavior as well. Young people are growing up uh, using the World Wide Web and they assume because it's there, that everything's okay. And it's also from an increasingly younger age. 
I'll never forget the occasion when some of us were met outside um, Bruce Woodford's house. He had placed a sign, which was actually a very gracious sign on the road. It wasn't an unkind sign. And uh, some people uh, from uh, the gay community took offense at it, and they decided to have a protest outside of his home. And I was there. I said nothing, but I, I was there, and it was good to see what was changing and uh, a group of people, men and women, brought a young girl. She was nine years old. And this girl stood in front of Bruce. And she looks up at him and she says, Are you telling me that I can only have sex with a man? This is a nine-year-old girl. Okay. Now... In my understanding, she should have been at home deciding whether she wanted chicken nuggets or fish fingers for her evening meal, not deciding whether she is, is a lesbian or gay. But this is how society has changed. And, and I realize that there are this probably someone will tell somebody and it will be on Facebook and all the rest of it. But the reality is, is that our society is in massive, massive problems, not just because of LGBTQ issues, but because of many issues. Young people get married now with the understanding that the relationship should be like what they see on the Internet. And that's wrong. So at an increasingly early age, we're exposed to this. But also within churches, we find that people are exposed, children are exposed to things that they should never be. And in the main, society accepts this as the way that it just has to be. Could government stop gross pornography? Well, of course it could. But it doesn't want to. Internet service providers know exactly what goes down the pipe to your home. In Britain, when they changed the law <laughs> so that you had to sign up with your internet service provider to say that you wanted to have pornography rather than you had to sign up to say you didn't want to have pornography, for a good while, several years, the amount of pornography being watched collapsed because People had to say on a form that that's what they wanted to watch. But now it's crept back up because people want to make sure that the internet service provider provides them. So yes, of course, government can stop it if it needed to. However, social acceptability varies so greatly that even the most vile acts are considered justified by many people. And by that, I'm talking about things that we don't even want to mention here but it's acceptable. And people watch it and children watch it. So before we can determine why sexual sin is such a big deal, and in particularly a big deal to God, we have to define exactly what we're talking about here. <laughs> and of course, this definition is where the massive backlash to the Church of Jesus Christ on these issues in particular begins. It's the point that things begin. Because the way that the world functions and operates is utterly and diametrically opposed 
to everything that this church stands for. Nobody wants to be submissive to God in society. Nobody wants to think of the concept of sin, that there are things that we don't do, that we shouldn't do, that we shouldn't be involved in. The world doesn't accept that. The world says you can do what you want, be what you want, say what you want. Because the truth is only the truth for you. It doesn't matter if it's not the truth for someone else as long as it's the truth for you. And you see, when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ, there is no middle ground. There is no compromise position on these issues. At least there shouldn't be. I want to just say to you that it is fortunate that man was never given the privilege or the opportunity of defining sin. I want you to just think for a moment if that had been the case. Could you imagine? Everything would be acceptable. There would be no no-go areas. There would be nothing that was deemed wrong or inappropriate. Everything would be available to us. Absolutely everything. When God created the first man, Adam, and brought him to the first woman, Eve, he joined them together in marriage and he pronounced it and he said this. He says, this is very good. This is God speaking. Genesis 1 verse 31. Genesis 2 verse 18. And Genesis 2 verse 24. And when God said it was good... It was at that time that God introduced sexuality. And it was at that time that he also set boundaries. He set boundaries for the expression of sexuality. And God has set these boundaries, not us. It's God who has drawn the lines. It was God that created a union between a husband and a wife. And he called that union becoming one flesh. Genesis 2.24. And the verse reads, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. Now the reality, friends, is that this is where the problem for the world has occurred. Because God then, in this statement, defined that any sexual activity outside of a husband and wife relationship, he defined it as being a violation of his gift of sexuality that has been given to us. God says there's no ifs or buts. He says anything outside of a man and a woman in marriage goes beyond the boundary that has been set. And the problem is, is that mankind, and as Justin Trudeau might say, womankind, <laughs> don't like it. Don't like what we're hearing. So put very simply, this means fornication, King James word, sex before marriage, homosexuality, pornography, lust, are all violations 
of God's intent when he created the sexual act. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Galatians 5, 19 to 20. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Jude 1 verse 7. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And our Lord himself said in Matthew 5.28, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Hebrews 13 verse 4, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers will be judged. So why is the violation of these boundaries such a big deal? Well, I guess the big and the first clue, and we've alluded to it already, is that verse 24 in chapter 2 of Genesis, the words, one flesh. You see, when God made this statement, he was absolutely right. There is a great unifying power within the sexual union. The intimacy that God granted literally left nothing uncovered. You see, it's not just our bodies that become entwined. It is our souls. The very essence of who we are. We allow vulnerability with our husband or our wife because we know that we are safe in the confines of the marriage union that God has dictated and determined is right for us. So that vulnerability is possible. And we know that this is how God meant it to be. Safety. Great joy. Pleasure. God designed sexual relations to involve more than just the body. God designed it to involve the heart and the life as well. And to our young men and women here this morning, not married, I want to remind you that there is no such thing as casual sex. People love to paint the picture that there is. Kids at school will say, haven't you done it yet? 
But I want you to know there is no such thing as casual sex. And people are taught that there is. School counselors provide condoms and contraception advice. And if you find yourself pregnant, that can be dealt with as well. Sex was designed to consummate the lifetime union between a man and a woman. Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate, Matthew 19, 6. God literally designed male and female bodies differently. You don't have to be a plumber to understand this particular biological point. So that when we come together in an act of physical intimacy, we join together for life. Mark 10 tells us, Mark 10 verse 8, the two are no, uh, are no longer two, but one flesh. And furthermore, this act of becoming one actually creates a brand new entity. Again, it's an entity which is under attack from the world because the entity that is formed is a family. When a man and a woman come together and marry, they create this wonderful thing called a family. And then from that come children. And those children are born into an environment of love and safety where the parents want to do everything they can to protect their children and to teach them the things of God. And, and, and God instructed that that's how we live. And now society says, doesn't matter. But God instituted the family. And friends, we need to remember that the human race can only grow by coming together of a man and a woman and within marriage. And God blesses it. Genesis 1.28, then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Sexual relations is a gift to a husband and a wife to make their relationship unique among all other relationships. But as with all things, what God creates as good Satan began his insidious defilement in the Garden of Eden with the words, has God said? And that's how he works today. He plants the seeds of doubt in your mind. Did God really say that you had to be different from all the other kids at school? Did God really say that you've got to be married to her for the rest of your life? That you've got to be married to him for the rest of your life? Did God really say all this? Genesis 3.1 Satan was challenging God's authority and he still challenges God's authority to this day. Every corner we turn, he challenges God's authority. And he says, you can be like God. You can make decisions. You don't need God to tell you. Every time we use sexuality for entertainment or to satisfy lust or to sell goods on advertisements, magazines, hoardings, TV, and so on, we cheapen the beauty of this powerful and wonderful gift and we defy the one 
who designed it. But something else has also happened. You see, as our children grow, they will learn that sin always has a consequence. Sin, in fact, never goes without consequences. And some of the consequences that we face can be perhaps short-lived. They perhaps don't uh, last very long. You might have transgressed and you've been grounded for a week. Once the week's up, you can crack on, can't you? But some sin has consequences that last throughout the whole of our life. Our sexual disobedience has produced a world staggering under the weight of disease, abortion, perversion, child molestation, addiction, sexual exploitation, rape, gross pornography, and the list goes on and on and on. In the 1980s, gay men all around the world started to become very unwell. And then they began dying in large numbers. At first, no one really knew what was happening to them. But what had happened is that they had contracted a disease called HIV, which would change itself into AIDS, acquired immunodeficiency syndrome. There was no cure for AIDS, and there still is no cure for AIDS. Once you have contracted AIDS, you have it for the rest of your life. I want you to listen to an extract from Statistics Canada. Uh, John, you're the sort of guy who'd look at Statistics Canada, but I'm sure you look at other areas of uh, Statistics Canada. But if you ever look at the section on um, sexual health for Canada, it's one of the most depressing reads that you can come across. It says this, the HIV data that we have in Canada is broken down by population. This groups people together by exposure category, meaning the way they probably acquired HIV. The main categories are through sex between men, injecting drugs, and heterosexual sex. Now that last part, heterosexual sex, uh, um, covers a very worrying thing which we'll talk about briefly in a moment. We know that trans women are particularly affected by HIV, but researchers have historically neglected this group regarding data collection. This has a real-world impact because a lack of data can make it harder to tailor HIV prevention to trans women in Canada. Things are slowly improving, though, and HIV research is becoming more inclusive. Around half of all people living with HIV in Canada are gay, bisexual, and other men who have sex with men. Men who have sex with men make up the biggest group of new HIV cases each year. On the other hand, new cases among women and people who are injecting drugs and indigenous people are also rising. One quarter of people living with HIV in Canada are cis women. Now, if you're not sure what cis means, it means there's a good chance you are a cis person. It's the new word that uh, talks about the fact that you agree with the gender you were born with or the agenda that the doctor said you had and you've maintained it throughout the whole of your life. So that's what a cis person is. So if you're confused, 
I had to Google what the words meant reading this from, from uh, Statistics Canada. <clears throat> One quarter of people living with HIV in Canada are cis women. And in 2020, they were 30% of new cases. A third of these women were exposed to HIV by injecting drugs. And here's the danger. The other two-thirds were exposed by heterosexual sex. Now, you have to think to yourself what's happened from um, HIV amongst gay men has begun to spread into the greater um, community. Some communities have a much higher HIV burden than others. Whilst men who have sex with men are only 3 to 4% of the adult male population of Canada, but in 2018 they comprised of more than 49% of all new cases. Further on in Statistics Canada, in the last decade, so we're talking about 10 years, in the last 10 years, chlamydia cases increased by 33.1%. 74.6% were among young people aged under 24. Gonorrhea cases increased by 181.7%. 51.9% were among young people aged under 24. Syphilis cases increased by 393.1% and 60.6% were among young people under the age of 24. Almost one in four Canadians and one in five Americans have at least one sexually transmitted disease. In both Canada and the US, half of all sexually transmitted diseases are among youth aged 15 to 24 years. And of these statistics, the, and these statistics don't include infections such as genital herpes, for example, which are now described as endemic in Canada, where it is thought that about 30% of all 15 to 24-year-olds carry the HSV2 virus. Herpes can be debilitating. There is no cure for genital herpes. However, daily use of antiviral medica medication can prevent or shorten outbreaks. Antiviral medicines also can reduce the chance of spreading it to others. And 2,000 years ago, the Bible warns us that if we treat sex in a casual manner, outside of God's plan, then there are consequences. Romans 1 verse 27, men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty of their error. I don't say any of this to frighten anybody. You can find it all online, the World Wide Web. Press a few buttons, ask a few questions. Talk to your school counselor, they might tell you the truth. But like the word sin, we don't like facts either anymore. We don't like facts that restrict how we live, what we do. You see, the boundaries that God created when it came to sexual relations, were for our own good. Not just to protect us, but for our own good in every respect. He created the boundaries for our good. But why is sexual sin such a big deal to God? Is it just that God wants to protect us? No. 
Put very simply, it destroys the picture of the unbreakable covenant that God has with his children. With those who have been saved through his son, through his blood shed for us on the cross. That's the covenant that we have. You see, the Bible uses marriage and sexual purity as a metaphor to describe the covenant relationship that Jesus had with his bride for those of us who have been saved. Revelation 19 verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. 2 Corinthians 11:2, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. In the Old Testament scriptures, God often compared rebellious Israel to a wayward wife, using adultery as a picture of the most heinous of sins. You see, God created the sex act to be a consummation of a covenant relationship. A covenant in which God has participated. Malachi 2 verse 14, you ask why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner. The wife of your marriage covenant. You see, the marriage covenant between a man and a woman illustrates God's unbreakable covenant with us. Now do you see why sexual sin is such a big problem for God? It goes to the very heart of everything he's done for us. To engage in sex outside of marriage violates God's intention and brings serious consequences. But sexual sin and abuse of sex also defiles more than just our bodies. A young woman recently said to me, but sin is sin, isn't it, Pastor? Sexual sin's no different, is it? I don't agree with that. Yes, all sin grieves God. We understand that. I want you to think next time you're involved in something sinful. Just think how God sees it. How does he feel? And you just brush it aside. All sin grieves God, but sexual sin strikes at the heart of God's love to us. And it affects us much more than we think. 1 Corinthians 6.18 again, flee from sexual immorality. All other sin a person commits are outside of the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have received from God. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Friends, sexual sin is different. Sexual sin has a spiritual significance. 
Committing sexual sin is directly opposed to God's will to sanctify us. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, wonderful verse. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Take that on board. It's God's will that you should be sanctified. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. But that it is in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of his brother or his sister. So how does God want us to live? Does he want us to live a boring life? No fun? No sex? That's a ridiculous notion. And shame on anybody who tries to think that that's what the Christian life is about. I tell you this, it's the most exciting life you can have. It's one of the most peaceful experiences that we have when we see God at work in us day to day. When the impossible becomes possible because God's involved. When relationships that are broken, perhaps for decades, are repaired and fixed because God is involved. When we discover that we have nothing to fear for all eternity. And we can go out into the world and we can know that we're protected because God is with us. Let's read Romans 13, 13 and 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in carousing and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Not in dissensions and jealousy. But rather clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. That's what God wants for us. Sexual sin is perhaps the single biggest way that people gratify the flesh. Rather than walking with Christ in the Spirit. Galatians 5.16, so I say walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Men... And increasingly women. And particularly young women. What are you doing with pornography? What is wrong with us? What are we doing? It's destroying us. It's destroying families. It's ruining young people when they come to finally get married. Because they're basing everything on what they've seen on the internet. How much time do you spend watching pornography? How much time do you spend reading the Word of God? How much time do you spend coming to church? How much time do you spend coming to the Bible study or being involved where you meet with other guys and you rejoice in everything that Christ has done for us? I've got no time, but I can spend hours in front of a flickering screen in a darkened room when your wife's in bed asleep. A senior pastor asked his young associate pastor who was married to run the young people's work in the church. 
And the young associate pastor replied, I can't, because if I do, I will just lust after the young teenage girls. I know this is true because I was the senior pastor. Friends, the problem is now endemic in the Church of Jesus Christ because we've allowed the boundaries to be pushed back and to be pushed back. And they're now so far back, you need the pair of binoculars to even see them. You need the Hubble telescope. <laughs> and so the pastor says, well, it's okay for the young people if they want to have sex before marriage. Well, you know, you've got to try it out, haven't you? No, that's not what God says. Matthew 5, verse 8, Jesus said, the pure in heart will see God. And we read that verse and we just skip over it. And I'm telling you this, unrepentant sexual sin defiles the heart, making it impossible to experience the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. If you want to be pure in heart, then the sexual sin has to stop. Chap said to me, he's down to pornography just once a week now, and he was really chuffed about that. <laughs> you won't stop in your own strength. But with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can conquer all. With the help of a proper engagement within church, you can have hope because our strength is when we're together. If you're a guy here this morning and you're struggling with any of the issues we've spoken about, you're welcome to come and talk to me and if I can't help, I'll find someone who can. And there are some other chaps within our fellowship that I could recommend maybe that you speak to. If you're a girl here this morning and you want some proper serious help, then talk to Jo and if she can't help you, she'll find a woman who can. If you're a young person here and you're struggling with the temptation of sex before marriage, I urge you to deal with this by seeking proper help before you make a massive mistake that could affect you for the rest of your life. And in two weeks' time, we're going to talk directly to our young people and we're covering the subject of what does the Bible say about dating and what does the Bible say about what an appropriate level of, of physical intimacy including sexes before marriage, and I guess we've given quite a lot of it away this morning. Friends, I know this has been a hard subject. I know it's not easy. And some of us might be hurting really badly after we've been talking about these things. But you know what? Honesty is the place to start, isn't it? And so I pray that we will all be able to speak honestly to the Lord to seek the Holy Spirit in these matters. And as I say, if you need help, then do please come and talk to myself or Joe 
and we will do everything that we can to provide the help that we need. But I'm telling you, the church is in danger. Not just our church, but all churches. Because the boundaries that God set have been pushed back further and further. And people think they can do what the world does, which is anything they want. Because surely God would never make us different from the world, would he? Yes, he has. We're better than the world. And I say that with absolute graciousness. Because we're following him who created this world, who loves us, loves us so much that he sent his son.